if you have a weak culture, you're going to have a weak go-to-market motion too, right? Like that bleeds, right? One of our CEOs at Kumu, Rose Bentley, when we started talking a lot about like vision and mission and like establishing that, this was like a 30-year-old business that really didn't rally around a, a shared vision. And so she implemented that. By doing that, it hardened the culture of, you know, around value sets and what was important to us as people, why we get out of bed every day to service our clients, our customers. The stronger that is internally, I think that directly equates to having happy, using, adoptive software customers. Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. Welcome back, Founders Journey Podcast. Peter Dean and Greg Moran. I'm not Peter Dean, I'm Greg Moran, but Peter Dean's that guy. Back again with another episode. So, um, so have a great guest today. Uh, this could be a lot of fun, guy. I've gotten to know a little bit recently. Uh, super active, you know, writing and in the startup community and things like that. So really excited about this conversation today with Alex Couture. He's founder of Dana Growth, and we're going to have him get into what Dana Growth is, but he brings about 20 years of operating and enterprise software and SaaS. And he's a founder and, uh, and CEO of a company. He started uh, Scene Doc, which sounds super ominous. I know you're like doing forensics collections. We've got to get into that. He's another that is doing what we're doing now is just trying to give back, which I just wanted to call out in the beginning, which is super important. Uh, and we had a very similar path, actually. A little different, but yeah. very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get into all we'll get into all that as we're going. So he uh, so his company that he founded uh, built that up, got acquired by a publicly traded company, which is uh, every founder's dream. And um, He's had uh, a couple other businesses since, uh, you know, be beside that. So we'll get into all of that before building uh, Dana Growth. So Alex, welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, gents. I really appreciate the platform. Thank you. Yeah. No, glad to uh, glad to have you here. So Peter, I guess kicked off. Yeah. So you've been in the startup game for some time now. Why don't you tell us about your, your journey uh, that led you to Dana Growth and kind of where you came to get where you are today? Well, I guess I'll rewind to the beginning, you know, yeah. so after um, graduating from business school, I um, was really fortunate to have landed a, my first sales gig at a company called CDW that was based at, at the time, Vernon Hills, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Honestly, I, I always characterized that eight or so years as a transformative part of my journey. Um, it's really where I got to, you know, chip my teeth in the art of sales it's where I developed a passion about customers and solving for customer problems. And honestly, it was one of the best sales schools um, around at the time. In fact, I think at the time, like there was some selling publication that rated CDW as like the, one of the top 10 places yep. to learn how to sell. And so like I, I stumbled upon it. It was like literally monster.com. And I knew this one really wealthy guy that was a sales guy at IBM in Hong Kong. And, and so when I graduated from school and mom was like, you need to go find a job. I was like, Hey, I want to be like long. And so I was like, I'm going to go and search somewhere where I could sell it and came across this three letter acronym CDW applied. A guy called me from Phoenix, Arizona. His name was Pete Edwards. Actually, I don't, I don't, I think he might've been in Chicago at the time. 
And he was starting to bring CDW to Canada through an acquisition of a company called Micro Warehouse. Anyway, long and skinny of it is I was one of the first yeah. um, uh, salespeople, first employees in Canada. The company grew from zero to a billion dollars. I was there up until about $800 million. I got to learn everything there. Like it was amazing. Like, it, you know, I always say like it was where I saw what good sales enablement looked like. Like mm -hmm. it was right. continuous. It wasn't like this bullshit that we see today, guys, where we, you know, throw people in the fire and expect that they're yep. just going to do good. They were like yeah. day one, this was what happening. Day 30, 60, 90. It was just like ongoing 365 uh, day enablement. And that has been a thread that I've tried to pull on as, as, you know, up until today. It's there actually, though, where I met my co-founder, Adrian. Um, he was a partner of ours at CDW, and he was far more of the visionary um, as we embarked on building ScenDoc. He had this idea of building a note-taking application. And, and, and if I can just bring you to sort of the mind of Adrian, he was in IT services. So, you know, think of it as, you know, servicing at large enterprises, call them banks, hospitals, mm -hmm. et cetera, and deploying large projects, data centers, you know, thousand laptops are being rolled out. We're putting yeah. in new storage arrays and you know, on a raised yeah. floor. And like, I guess what Adrian saw firsthand back in 2010 was that whenever there was an issue, i.e. like servers showed up without hard drives or their incorrect hard drives in them, you know, a tech would literally need to go to their laptop bag, grab a digital camera, snap a picture of that issue, and then go back to their laptop, open up an email client, create a ticket for IT help desk to deal mm -hmm. with, right? And so Adrian thought, hey, with the advent of a smartphone, why can't we do all of that on a mobile device? Yeah. Snap a picture, create some content on or around an image, and then hit a send button. And I always joke that like, all of this is like trivial today, right? Like all of our kids play with social media applications that do this. Like <laughs> they live that this way. is like all yeah, super, yeah, they live, super revolutionary though, right? Like, exactly. what? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but they live this way. You're talking about like, <laughs> you know, this is, we got to keep up with the innovation at that time. Oh that, yeah. I right. mean, as an enterprise that's sales guy, I knew that mobile was an, it was just yeah. about to be explosive, right? Again, this is yeah. 2010. Every CIO that I had privileged to have relationships with or was selling to was like thinking about how they were going to put a phone into the hand of executives. How are we going to use tablets? Yeah. All these things were starting to happen, right? So we like two crazy guys put some money together. We build a, what would be our first rendition of a B2C app that we called picky note <laughs> and being two guys from the enterprise, we were like, Hey, let's start building this for the Blackberry playbook. Like that was their tablet yeah. and people yep. chuckle all the time. Like what yep. the heck were you guys thinking? But you know, the Blackberry, Blackberry totally. Enterprise I mean, that was revolutionary yeah. right? at the time. Yeah. yeah. And I was always thinking as the consummate sales guy, what could we do where I could sell this back to the CIOs that I've been privileged to build relationships with over the mm -hmm. last, right. you know, right. eight years. So we build this note-taking app. It was actually the number two note-taking app on the BlackBerry platform next to Evernote, believe it or not. Cool. We thought we were going to make, you know, our riches selling, you know, a 99 cent app to millions of people. That obviously mm -hmm. never panned out. Um, but we had a lot of success, you know, learning about mobile app development you know, mm -hmm. sort of building strong mobile first user experiences. Um, so here's where it gets interesting. One day we get an email and it happens to be a deputy director of a federal law enforcement agency in the U.S. And what he says is, 
hey, I've been a user of Picky Note. We just bought these 200 BlackBerry playbooks for our federal agents. And I've been scouring all four points of the planet looking for a piece of software that would enable my agents to process a crime scene using a tablet. And I think what you guys have is like the early innings of what could be a pretty game-changing piece of technology for first responders. Wow. And honestly, for me, it was like light bulbs went off. Like, again, bringing back to like go-to-market, everything I do today, right. it was like a repeatable thing that we could go and sell to every police officer around the world. Yeah. And so yeah. I thought this was our way to like build shelf life and build a true enterprise software company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Adrian takes this conversation with this guy. His name was Dr. Ed Espinoza. And we both agree that we're going to like work every evening do napkin sketch wireframes and go back and forth to adapt the code base of picky note to be what would soon be called mobile CSI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like that, like That's that cool. was exactly what we called it. And right. we had our first paying customer. They had, you know, a few hundred agents using mobile CSI on the scene of wow. federal crimes. And honestly, that was our foray into, okay, who's going to be our customer and how are we going to go and expand a business around this thing? And I, I suppose the rest is, is history. I'll stop there. It's so That's crazy, amazing. right? Because all of a sudden, like, you're going down, you're building this thing, right? But not necessarily. I mean, you've got one path that you're following, and then suddenly this other one comes at you. It's something we hear all the time, right? Where on the podcast where, you know, you'll hear stories like that. And it's like, yeah, we were doing this thing. And we weren't real sure what was going on, but, you know, felt like it was getting somewhere and getting somewhere. And then all of a sudden something like just pops up right out of absolutely nowhere. And it starts to narrow that niche down to something you can just go after. Right. And I think that's the that it's 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 something we hear all the time, but it's wild. I think it's super important that you told that story because people want to be entrepreneurs. They're like, I want to do this. But we you guys did that, right? And you said, okay, let's find a way. And you you got good at something and you kind of refined it. And then you were in the right place at the right time. And this person found you and said, listen, this is what I need help with. And then that's that other piece of advice that we hear a lot is do what people are willing to pay you for, right? And then you right. found no doubt. business around that, you know? No doubt. Yeah. And, you know, as we were doing our own due diligence, because you know, make no mistake, we did, right? Like, yes, we had this federal, you know, deputy director, highly, highly uh, regarded. We ran our own Google searches on him, a very published um, speaker and writer around his domain. Um, But what we had to validate was like, is this a real problem that people would actually pay to solve? And, you know, that obviously starts with, you know, with him, but, you know, it quickly went into like, Okay, Alex gets into sales mode and starts building a target list. And how do we go and speak to the next 50 chiefs of police that could validate whether or not this is actually a problem? And B, would they actually want to solve it? When you did that and you you said you built this list and you reached out to them, were you kind of selling them or were you just validating your your idea? Oh, I got so I mean, maybe this is something I had learned early on, but I was always selling sort of a chapter or two ahead of where we were. I don't think it was like lying by any stretch because no. we knew we were already steadfast that we were going to do this thing. Yeah. And so we, I really remember like saying to like the chief, hey, chief, 
this is kind of the story, the same story I told you. And we're, we are starting to build this thing now. And, you know, how would funding work for something like this? You yeah. know, how do you guys think about putting um, a, a mobile device like an iPhone in the palm of your officer's hands? You know, what are the limitations around data integrity yeah. and security and like all the things we would need to be mindful mm -hmm. of as we started to move from like this B2C mobile app shop, mm -hmm. which is kind of what we were in the early constructs to it right. being like a SaaS company that could stand the test of time in this marketplace. And so, you know, that informed a lot of the architectural decisions Adrian was making on how this thing needed to be built, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, now we're moving from like Dr. Ed, the guy at home being yeah. the user to now we have a federal agency using it or a city police department using it. Certainly we knew just given our backgrounds in enterprise that like, there would be a litany of things we would need to consider yeah. in order for yeah. them to be able to use it. That's so you know? cool. Cause I think yeah. there's a couple of schools of thought. Like people are like, go do these interviews. And when you do the interviews, people are like, Oh, this is great. But when you ask for money, it gets real, you know, and as a salesperson, yeah, yeah. obviously you yeah, know right. that I think that skill is, is invaluable. And when you start, we learned a lot in government selling the government. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, make no mistake too, that while we had a lot of chiefs saying that would be something they would want to solve for and pay for and be willing to pay for what we learned later on is that there's this huge complexity in terms of how you follow a public dollar, right? Like, so, you know, as city council go, like, how do they approve and allocate money for yeah. new purchases like this. I mean, again, it turned a little boy seller into a real man, I believe in a lot of ways, because yeah, cool. it was far more complex than I had ever could have imagined. You're coming at it like with this kind of mindset of that sales rep founder, right? Which I think, you know, when we invest in companies, it's that kind of mindset that is so powerful that as an investor, when you see an entrepreneur, right, that they're solving through this lens of, okay, but can I go sell this and who am I going to sell it to and how much are they going to pay? Because so often you see this, you see the opposite approach, right? Which is the product first kind of, I'm going to go build this thing and I'm going to go help I can, you know, hope I can go find a market. I think, um, you know, I know today you're really focused on actually helping other companies solve that problem, right? Solve that same kind of that really scale their go-to-market. What, the, what are the really common mistakes you see founders make that kind of get themselves sort of in the doghouse, right? When they're trying to, when they're trying yeah. to get their go-to-market to scale. So this sales guy turned first time founder and CEO made all the quintessential errors. In fact, I think that for a lot of the investors that were investing in us, because I was the sales guy, a successful sales guy turned first time CEO and founder, they had a lot of entrust that I broke, you know, and because I broke a lot of the cardinal rules a lot of the rules that I'm trying to help startups today avoid, right? Like, so let's start from the top. You know, yes, we, we did a good job or we were afforded the opportunity to understand our market ahead of like writing the, the, the first adaptation of mobile CSI, right? Like for it to be used by police, right? So that was like a check in the box. But where the mistake started coming was to feel and behave and operate like every police department on the planet should be our customer. And we all know now that, you know, we need to go through the path of like getting to early mar product market fit. How do you mm -hmm. really define product market fit? 
how do you take the world of police departments and dwindle it to those that are going to be most successful on our platform? Those are things I completely botched. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't listen to myself as much as I should have. I, I think this is becomes one of the first few chapters in, in the some of the books I'm looking to write now is that like I overlooked that. And I think one of the th- biggest mistakes I made was I listened to a lot of the domain experts that were around me more than I should have just listened to what Alex knew. Um, right. And it, it was my first rodeo. Yes, I'm hard on myself about it. To this day, we're talking about it 20 some odd years, or <laughs> many years later. Uh, yeah. But it is something I reflect on a lot. And it, it it is the thing that I tried. Like, I think this is step one for many founders now because they all want to jump into just selling to everybody. And, you know, there's no shortage of shiny objects, right? Mm -hmm. We all been there, right? Like there's every, there's new opportunities all the time. So we feel we need to chase all of them, but to have that discipline to say, Hey, okay, we service the world of public safety. What is that? Is that fire? Is that paramedics? Is that first responders in a police department? Is that federal? Is that state? Is that local? Is that, NYPD, which is where I spent a lot of money and time and mistake, or is it where we caught our, our, our real repeatable sales process selling downstream to the 17,000 of the 18,000 police departments in the United States that are actually really freaking small that the big boys like Motorola and TriTech and Central Square and all the big boys had no idea how to sell to. Mm-hmm. And that's where we caught our stride. That's where the enterprise value of my company was built was when we figured that part out um, because we were able to build, we were able to get to a customer set that others weren't able to get to in a low cost of acquisition format that really made it uh, a valuable business. It's such an interesting thing, right? Because we, I, I think there's probably every other podcast we have a conversation about this concept of like, number one, really identifying the pain point for this super narrow market and then being able to go in, but you've got it when you get, you know, it's easy when you think about like narrowing a market, right? It, you, you can, I think it's easy for a founder to think like in your case, oh, we're just going to go sell to every police department and, you know, in every first responder service in the country. And therefore I've narrowed my market. You but what I hear you narrow. saying is like, no, you, if it, right, it feels narrow because it's yeah. not everybody. But what you're right. saying is, look, they, but they all behave a little bit differently. The New York City mm-hmm. Police Department behaves a lot differently than the Livingston, Montana Police Department with, you know, four police, right? With, with, with four officers. And really getting incredibly tight about who it is that you're, that you're selling to, I think, is it's one of those common mistakes that you just see founders make over and over. They think they're narrowing but it's still too wide, right? Yeah, indeed. Yep. And you're spreading your peanut butter just all over the place, right? Which equates yep. to just lost time, capital yeah. resources are depleting. You know, I always kind of joke around, but in all seriousness, say that like, had we gotten to understand our ICP when I think we could have, we probably yeah. would have had another zero or two added to our enterprise value <laughs> when That's Tyler right. came to acquire us. Yeah. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but the, uh, I think there's probably not a founder out there that would uh, that would that wouldn't have the uh, that wouldn't have that same that same no thing. Doubt. You know, I'd look back no at doubt. mine too, and I would say the exact same 
the exact same thing. If you could just figure this out a little bit sooner, you know, if it just didn't take quite as much time to figure out who that, you know, that product market fit and getting really narrow about the market, you know, you, you could have, you could have grown so much faster. I think that's the lesson for founders, right? That's the power in listening to, you know, somebody like yourself talk. Yeah. Trying to be open because that hindsight, when you get to where you are now, you look back, you're like, oh man, that was so logical. Like it doesn't, it just makes more sense. So why? And honestly, I think that's what puts me in a position to actually help these startups that we're helping now, exactly. right? Is like, yeah. I can actually operate from a place of like, I, this is not a lesson I read about. Like I made this mistake. Yeah. And so like they can, they can feel it from me. I mean, maybe the way that hopefully listeners are going to feel this from us here on totally. this recording yeah. is that like, damn, like I really fucked that thing up and <laughs> this is how you can avoid it. And if we just like slow down a little bit sometimes, because we're always just trying to run a million miles a minute as founders is that sometimes you just need to to sit back and, and do the homework and write things down and, you know, and then attack. That's right. That's, that's, that's right. so cool, Alex. So you're doing this now for other companies. Why do you think, like, what are the drivers? Why do you think these are common mistakes? Like, cause you're working with other people doing the same thing. You kind of see it more from this perspective. What do you think the drivers are to making those mistakes? Like I, you mentioned a couple, but. I think it's just like, I think that founders are authentically hungry, right? Yeah. And so that hunger sometimes spills over into being careless, right? Yeah. And I don't know. That's how I think about it. That's one, yeah. one thing that comes to my mind. The other thing is just like, I think being scared of failure, like I got to tell you there, I'm, I'm, I'm completely okay saying it. Up until the day we were freaking acquired and everything, the transaction was done, I was always afraid of it not working. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a result of that fear in the pit of my stomach and in my heart, you feel you need to turn every damn rock. Right. Again, instead of being more deliberate and purposeful and, you know, methodical. And so, yeah, I, I lost my way on a lot of that process oriented stuff. And thankfully I had a business partner that was a process junkie. And so he was really good at stabilizing that um, as I lost sight of that from time to time. When, when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, Alex, for the first time, you know, th this was the thing I think in, in reading stuff you put out and it's just that sort of that kind of rawness to like, the, th this is, this is how I got myself in these jams. You know, and I think that's the that's really the 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 huge lesson in this that I could literally feel what you were just saying with that sort of frantic, like yeah. I've got to turn over this rock, I've got to turn over this rock, I need to move faster, I've got to move faster. When the answer really, but this is so hard to talk to a founder about. The answer is sometimes actually, you know what you need to do? You need to do less. You need to yeah. slow your ass down, man. Like you know, you've got to, you've got to actually Let kind of go. be silent sometimes, yeah. you know, and not try to control every single thing. But that is, I'll tell you, man, if you can figure out a way to convince a founder of that, because I couldn't be convinced of that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and every other founder, like you say it, because with hindsight, it's so powerful and it's so crystal clear. But man, that is a hard lesson. If you can be that founder who can take that lesson to heart at an earlier stage and just not worry about every last dollar of revenue 
but worry about staying focused on that on that narrow market and just slow yourself down, slow your thinking down and get, you know, and just keep executing and keep grinding toward that one end point. It's, it's just the power in that is, yeah. is enormous, but it, it, it's so counterintuitive. I'll do a quick pitch for him. So this is what I've noticed working with a lot of founders I do today and CEOs. You got to get to know, like you come in to help them with one, like to them, it's a discreet thing. And they put you in a box and like, I was going to help you with this. I got to solve this problem. But you got to dig and know, like, this guy's been around. He's done it before. There's more I can learn from him. Open up a little bit. Some of those people around you, right? Like in Alex, like he can give you more yep. insight than maybe what he's just here to help you with. You know, that's right. And, and, and honestly, it's been interesting. It's interesting you say that ever since Scene Doc, I would say that my life has moved from, and I, I don't mean this in any negative way, like just being the sales guy. Yeah. To like now being this person that can work across a business. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I've seen this now, like from the time we exited Scene Doc, when I was SVP of global sales at Kumu, I, yeah. I ended up becoming like a, I think a, not just the sales leader, but yes. somebody that was helping the CEO in a con, in a, in a, in a confidant sort of way. Yeah. Um, and I see this across all my clients now is like, sometimes we're coming in to talk about serving as a fractional CRO for a company, but without any doubt and without any fail at the, the engagement will move from that to being a coach or an advisor to that CEO, yeah. because they see mm -hmm. it as, too limiting to keep me just in the lane of helping on the revenue op, op side, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I think that, and I, I suppose you guys know this firsthand, like this is part of the beauty I believe in starting your own company, right? Like I, I talk to my kids at 12 and 10, like they're adults. I've been doing this for years. I, that's how my relationship is with them. And I always tell them that they should go and work in a big company so that they can understand what big company stuff looks like the good, right. bad, and ugly of all of that. But I think they really should get into building something on their own because I think that's where you really start to grow, right? Like that's where you really, really learn. Like mm -hmm. startup is the best, best classroom I could have ever gotten. Right. I always kind of say two things like there's two ways to learn in life. I think startup is one of them. Traveling is another. Right. Yep. Like, I think the world is a tremendous classroom as well. Right. The more we can get out of the communities and environments that we are in every day, I think that's how you accelerate learning. And for me, like learning is what it's all about. Absolutely. So, you know, if you were to boil this down, Alex, if you were to kind of give, you know, in just real simple terms, give a founder kind of the three sort of best, best practices or best pieces of advice, just really simple. Um, to, to start to accelerate their growth. And, mm. and maybe it's not even growth. Maybe it's just their startup in general, right? What do you think they would be? Spend 90% of the time with customers and prospects. Like, turn off everything else. Like, forget the investors. Forget even... <laughs> you hire good people that you can not have to micromanage. Like, trust and verify. I'm a student of that game. Like, hire good people so you don't have to be in that trench. Be in the trenches with prospects and customers. Learning feverishly about how they're using your software, why they bought it, what's changed the most since they bought it. Like that is where I think the gold is. Secondarily, stay doing that as long as you can. Mm -hmm. 
Like, again, I think that, like, I felt, fell in the trap of, like, okay, we've raised venture capital, so we now need a big executive team. Like, stop all that. Like, yeah. again, stay in the trenches. Make those prospects your best friend. Make the market your best friend. Um, I think that's, like, one of the, the biggest learning lessons, I would say. Second, because I don't know if I have a third, is have good mentors. Yeah. Like, Greg, you and I talked about this when we when we first interacted. I, I've been really blessed to have a guy like George Heinrichs on my side. I got, there's a gentleman by the name of Ian Locke that is a mentor to me. These are guys that I met through my journey as I was building SceneDoc. But like most things in my life, I continue to invest in these relationships and they're with me to this day. We're yeah. almost on a daily basis still texting back and forth because I think that's super critical. Like... Yeah. Surround yourself with good people. My dad would always say, show me your friends. I'll show you who you are. I'm sure his grand, his dad said that to him, but it's something yeah. he taught to me pretty early in my life. I didn't learn it. I was a knucklehead for many years. I kept the wrong people around me as I was growing up. And that led to a lot of the problems I got into as a youngster. But today I, I would say I'm pretty darn good about keeping smart people around me. That's why I'm going to keep you guys around me. Um, <laughs> That's why I, we judge the intelligence later. But. Yeah. That's why we brought you. No, but here. I love that. Like I love <laughs> I love having people around me that actually have very different experience than the one I had. Yeah. Right? Because then for me, just through osmosis, I get to like learn about those things and make it my own. And in some ways, sometimes like depending how immersive I can get, like I can actually feel like I was on that journey with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of it's, that has helped me, you know, you know, that I mean, building that community, and you know, and building that support network. I just I feel for founders, you know, when you see them and they're trying to go at it alone and they're so myopic and oh, what yeah. they're trying to do. And, you know, it, it number one, it's just it's just stupid. Like, it's just bad business. But number two, it's it's just a terrible like it's no fun. And I think part of the attraction of the startup world and the entrepreneurial world for me is. It's really fun. I mean, it's insanely hard, but it's really fun. If you have nobody to, if all you're doing is kind of taking on the miserable part of it, but you have nobody to kind of share the joy of it with, that's that's a hard road, you know? And in a lot of ways, I mean, that's why Peter and I, you know, when we started this podcast, I mean, this was like just a passion project. And quite honestly, it was nothing more than an excuse to say like, hey, let's just have interesting conversations with cool people that we can get to know that probably would ignore us otherwise, right? And mm -hmm. You know, and that it, it, that's that's the fun of doing this, right? And so, fun. you know, I think coming, but you do have to put yourself out there. You know, you do have to. You don't get mentors like you were talking about. And Peter and I, I think on every podcast, talk about you know mentors that we've had. And you know, you don't get those by not putting yourself out there. You've got to. You've got to develop those relationships, and right. it is an investment of time. But man, is it? You know, is it ever? Is it ever worth it? For sure. You don't have to go this, you don't have to do this alone. And that, that I think is just a big mistake that you see founders make way too often. Couldn't agree more. There's a, that's a good segue. So we're talking about people. What role do you think culture has in an organization and its success of go to market? Well, I, I think culture impacts everything in the business, right? So mm -hmm. not just go to market it yeah. impacts everything. Um, I think, you know, if you have a weak culture, you're going to have a weak go-to-market motion too, mm -hmm. right? Like 
that bleeds, right? Like not just inside the walls. And I learned this really well, actually, through um, one of our CEOs at Kumu, Rose Bentley. Um, when we started talking a lot about like vision and mission and like establishing mm -hmm. that this was like a 30 year old business that really didn't rally around a, a shared vision. Mm -hmm. And so she implemented that. And I think by doing that, it hardened the culture of, you know, around value yeah. sets and what was important to us as people, why we get out of bed every day to service our clients, our customers, the stronger that is internally, I think that directly equates to having happy using adoptive software customers. Yep. You know, like there is a direct translation. Absolutely. And if you can do it even better, deep into your core values are things like being customer obsessed, which yeah. is something she had implemented there. And it's something like I, I think those were good words for something I've been feeling for 20 some odd years of my career. I've always been customer obsessed. I never called it that, but now I call it that. Like I, right. I name mm -hmm. it, I call it what it is. And I think that if you have employees and teams that really believe that, then everything in the go-to-market motion actually becomes um, centered on that and grounded in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's, yeah. I mean, it's certainly the force multiplier, right? That, that you can, that you can really start to get when you, you know, this thing can, I think without a strong culture, right? I mean, it's, you're just kind of pushing the rock, you know, it's boring, right? Like, right. you know, ahead of having those things defined and, you know, ones that like everybody in the team can synchronously shout from the mountaintop. Yeah. Like it's boring. Right. Like, and do you want to be in the in the boat where everybody's rowing in the same direction because we know precisely why we're rowing in that direction, or do we want to be in the boat that we don't know that? Yep. Right. But to take it to to drill down on that just a little bit, Alex. Right. There is at least I find right there is there are cultures that you know that there are unique kind of strengths within a culture. You see some that are very 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 technically driven culture where mm. it's really about product excellence and technical excellence yeah. and things like that. And you also see other cultures where it really is about like, we have a culture of selling, right? You think of like, mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know. EMC oracles, today. like when EMC, we grew up in CDW, they were like so, those shops. Yeah. Totally. Yes, and, you, and you talk about CDW, CDW was legendary yeah. for that, right? Yeah. That they just built, I mean, their competency, their culture revolved around that sales mentality. And I think, you know, it, it is interesting, right? Because you do see companies where when, and again, I'm not judging one type of culture yeah. versus another, but when you see companies that really start to scale, there is something to be said for that culture that rewards self, right? Where it's not a dirty word. It's not frowned upon, but it actually mm -hmm. is who we are, right? Because you do see, you do see the other side. You do see yeah. sometimes where it's like, no, we're not about that, right? People yeah. are going to come to us, and, and it does. It it creates a, it creates a real challenge. Yes, yeah, so you're not opposed to um, a sales centric culture. No, is that right? No, yeah, yeah. no, not at all. Because I mean, you're I mean, right. Think... So many people frown upon it today, and I think it's a lost. It's a that's that's something that's been lost in a lot yeah. of companies today. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I'm. Not, I'm certainly not. Not against it. I think it's something that it. You know. I'm. I'm also not against a very product centric or very technical centric culture. But you have to balance that. 
right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you've got to be able well, to balance that's why that. I think putting the customer at the center, and I apologize if, if I just... A hundred percent. But no, if you no, keep no, the no. customer at the center, then you can integrate being a sales-led culture. Mm-hmm. You can integrate being an innovation-led culture because it's all for the purpose of servicing the customer. Yeah, yep. it's why Absolutely. you do it and Absolutely. how you do it, right? It's the why and the how yeah, that right. drive what you're talking about. Want to shift gears here in our final couple of minutes, uh, because I know today, and you've kind of referenced this a little bit, but I know today you're really focused on giving back. You're, you know, there's a lot sort of, you know, yes, you're working with companies. You obviously make money doing that. However, you know, there's a kind of a deeper value here for you, I know, in, in kind of giving back through foundation and things like that. Talk about the, that motivation a little bit, Alex. Coming off of the scene doc acquisition, I knew my life's thesis, not just my business's thesis, was that the more I can um, have line of sight to creating impact for human beings, particularly in, this, in the business, in business, that's what fills my cup. Like that, that I know, and so yeah, that's been manifested in the, like the scholarship fund that we're doing. But now in this next wave of like Dana growth, yes, it's an advisory and consulting business. So yes, we are for profit. We make money. Um, I am a capitalist, <laughs> yes, but I would say that um, over the last six months, I have been making a shift to be deliberate and spending more time with what I call like an underdog founder. And I know I, 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 it's interesting. I, I think I have to put this asterisk. I, I feel like I'm always saying this, like, yes, every startup founder is an underdog, but <laughs> there are there are swaths of founders that are not in Boulder in Toronto, in New York City, in Silicon Valley, that are without the access they deserve, right? And what I mean by access is they are without the access to smart people like you guys. They are without access to the information they need. They are without access to good human beings who can also serve as investors to them. They're without access to good talent pools just because sometimes of where they live or where they were born. So for me, I have said, I'm not not going to work with the Silicon Valley founder or the Boulder founder or the Toronto founder, but I do know that I get a lot more out of trying to help a founder that if they had the liquidity event I had, which was not a huge one, right? Mm-hmm. I had a modest liquidity event. But if they had that type of liquidity event, they're not only, it's not only changing their own life, it's changing an entire community that might rely on them. Mm -hmm. So that to me is, I think, the place where Alex should go and spend more time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was in India over these last couple of weeks with my wife and children, I was deliberate to go and visit with a handful of startups there, a couple of which we're going to be now moving into engagements with Dana Growth. But those founders are great examples where the impact is far more, um, you can draw concentrical circles around that founder Mm -hmm. to how that there's going to be a ripple effect if we can turn their idea into some sustainable software business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll stop there. But yeah, that, that's where my heart's at. No, it's so yeah, cool. it's it is. This is this is when you know this is when I knew Peter when we were, when Alex and I were chatting a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yeah, we got to get this guy in the podcast because definitely that 
it's it you know it resonates so much i know when we started evergreen mountain our you know the venture firm that my partner Eric grossman and i started together and, and i think you and i were talking about this alex it's so similar in a lot of ways right we we've both been very fortunate in terms of you know liquidity events and things like that when we started that it was yes i mean we're a, we're a venture capital firm right we we do venture capital firm things we we need to make money on companies getting big exits. But the thing that we always talked about is you talked about the underdog founder. We always talked about, we talked about all the time, the find a way founder, right? It's the founder who doesn't, who doesn't come out of an Ivy league school. Not there's anything wrong with Ivy league schools. And we, yeah. it's not like we wouldn't invest in a, one of those founders, but it's the founder coming out without the contacts, without the network, without the, they need that access. They need to, because they're every bit as good, um, you know, as the other founders, I just think it's a, it's a, you know, it's just an there's 500 other VCs that'll go and service the kid mm-hmm. that's coming out of Stanford or Harvard. Absolutely, or, walk down you know, all Hill that Road, sort right? of stuff. Yeah, and and 100%. all. Yeah, this is not to disenfranchise them. This no, is just about, no, like, not at all. How do you how do you put some focus onto the people that don't have that? Yeah, right. Like mm-hmm. that weren't promised the access and the privilege to access the rooms we all have been accessing. Yeah, right. right? Like, and, we and a lot of this, by the way, there. is like you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like, had hey, somebody tell me, "How'd I get here?" <laughs> Right, right, right. You want me? Right. Why why do you want me? Yeah. I had somebody tell me the other day that as I was explaining this next wave of my business that like, um, you know, shame on the founder if they can't get into the rooms you've gotten into. Like questioning that that was their inability of some sort. Yeah. And you know what? That's not like there there are so there are people in, in the continental U.S., right? Pick an inner city. Those people just like the founder who in certain parts of India or Africa or pick a place, it doesn't matter yeah. actually agnostic of the geography, but there are founders that don't have the confidence yet to go mm-hmm. into those rooms. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a, it's incumbent on people like us to go and help some of those people build the confidence mm-hmm. to go out and access that. Cause guess what? If we can go in and instill the confidence in that founder to go out and just push their way into the room, like many of us did, Guess what? They're going to be able to go and teach the next 15 founders how to do that too. Yeah. So like right. there is going to be a uh, just a network effect that will naturally occur as we start to invest our time doing that. Yep. No, I love that. I love that. That's so important yeah. that you said that. And yes, yeah. in all of that there's going to be a win-win, right? Greg, you you and I talked about this. Uh-huh. I wrote about this the other day. Like it should this shouldn't be pro bono work all the time, mm-hmm. and it's not. Yep. No. So I don't want to sit on some soapbox that like Alex is like, you know, the mother Teresa over here. That's that's right. not what I'm doing. And I, I right. don't want to claim like that's what we're doing. There's a benefit to what I'm going to do. There's going to be a win to what I do. But yep. I want them to win more because yeah. they deserve to win more. You said that like you're not mother Teresa, but it sounds like you learned something I learned. Like every time you give something, more comes back. And so every time I give and I'm like, I mentor founders I, in upstate New York, like we're in this place that not a lot of founders come from, right? We had GE and we had some Bausch & Lomb, Kodak, all these big companies. That was the past. Now yep. we're looking for our next ones. When you do that, it's amazing what comes back to you. And, and it turns into economic gain for me eventually in some way. And, and so it's not mutually exclusive helping someone, but it's also important to help someone. 
and not think what is happening today for me because it will come tomorrow or the next day or through some other relationship. And that's, that's actually probably yep. how we get in those rooms. We got in those rooms by just doing things like that and not expecting something back, yep. you know? I love that. And you're playing the long game, right? You're playing a longer game. And, and yes, we, we, three of us, I can just speak on our behalf. We've all been afforded an opportunity to think a little longer. Yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, yep. That's absolutely. Awesome. Well, this is a great place to wrap it up, Alex. This is, um, it was awesome having you on. How do people get in touch with you? What's the best way to? LinkedIn, Alex Couture, K-O-T-T-O-R. Um, that's, you know, that's where I'm spending my time. If there's any social media in my life, it's on LinkedIn. And, that you know, that's where we got to form our relationship. Greg, Peter, yeah. I'm looking forward to building with you Absolutely. offline as well. Um but thanks so much, guys, for giving me an and, opportunity uh, to and speak web, a bit. website, Alex. Uh, yeah, www.danagrowth.com. D-E-N-A-G-R-O-W-T-H.com. Got it. So if you're not looking at the show notes, just just be aware that Dana sounds like it's D-A, but it's actually D-E-N-A. Right. Growth. Right. So we'll put this in the show notes to get you connected with Alex if you want to. Um, but uh, so great to have you on, Alex. Hopefully, the first of uh, many visits here and. Um, Look forward yeah, to absolutely. Uh, look forward to continuing to watch you uh, watch you build here. So uh, thanks likewise, for joining us. Likewise, guys. Found us yep. the podcast as always. Um, if you like what you heard, please uh, take a moment, comment, share it, um, get uh, help other people see it as well, and uh, we'll see you on the next next edition.